Hello there. Uh, my name is Chris Casso. I am a writer at trustyhenchman.com, and I am an apostle of the God Hand. <laughs> and I'm Nicole Lamb. I handle the publicity of the Hawk, so anything mm -hmm. can go directly to me. Any mm -hmm. business inquiries, please send them to Nicole at theapocalypse.com. <laughs> Any kingdoms you want overthrown? <laughs> You have to go through her first. That's right. You need some yes. mercenaries, you go through me. Mm hmm So this is a follow-up. It's going to be part of our ongoing series about Berserk called The Berserkening. And uh, this, as the sequel, will be called uh, The Berserkening to Electric Boogaloo. <laughs> yeah, we just, we just love that Berserk so much that we yeah. have to keep talking about it. And suck you into it with us. And keep rereading it, even though I took a count and I have over a hundred series that I haven't read <laughs> on my yeah, bookshelf. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but they're not a berserk. They're not. So screw them. Fuck that shit. <laughs> <laughs> we feel strongly about this. I know. My husband is like, are you reading Berserk again? <laughs> mm -hmm, and I'm mm -hmm. like, don't shame me. <laughs> You don't understand. Mm -hmm. You'll never understand me. Yeah. He's um, almost getting to the point where he wants to watch Akira, which is saying something, because that man hates Japanese everything. He just doesn't right. get the uh, media, the anime, you know, that mm -hmm. kind of stuff. Right. He right. just thinks it's just too weird. Right, right. Hmm. Now that you mentioned Akira, all I could do, the rest of the podcast, in the back of my head, there's going to be two people screaming, Tetsu! Well, it's pretty much like, cats! Cats! Yes, yeah. <laughs> Which happens in the manga, doesn't it? <laughs> <laughs> two male best leads who were best friends and then hate each other and try to kill each other. Yeah. Hmm. One betrays the other. Akira is butt guts. Yeah. So, let's see. Last time, we just kind of jumped around a bit. All over um, the place. Because I had just reread the first hardcover, and you were already at book four? I was I finishing book five, which was my first read-through, okay. because I had um, stopped reading the digest size at volume 10, and right. then sort of collecting the hardcovers. So right. that was all new material for me. But yeah, we were all over the place. It was an introduction. It was, kind of. It was a scattered introduction. And I'm happy yes. to report that we actually had somebody go all in on the Berserk hardcovers after, I guess, listening to our podcast, which I consider a win because we were kind of all over the place. <laughs> it's To me, it's it's not just a win. It's it's kind of like a invasion of the body snatchers moment. And uh, uh, I'm Donald Sutherland, and I just scream at them like they're one of us now <laughs> pretty much so one we're gonna us. oh go ahead you need to scream no, uh, just one of us <laughs> one of us <laughs> when i do that voice i always think of like the skexies emperor who is always like i am still emperor <laughs> except he's like i'm just at chapter 10 <laughs> What's going to happen to Gats? Oh my god, nothing good, probably. <laughs> so this one we will focus on mostly volumes one and two of the hardcover, and if you're following along in the digest, then that's through volume six, because there's three of the digests in each hardcover. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. That covers Black Swordsman, The Brand, Guardians of Desire, Golden Age Arcs, chapters, lots of chapters, I think through chapter six. Is what mm. the hardcover says. So if yeah. you're following along, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 
It'll be like a sing-along. There'll be words on the bottom of the screen, and there'll be a bouncing guts head. <laughs> That's right. Everything sucks. Don't trust people. Don't make friends. It's bad. <laughs> <laughs> Bottle up your emotions. That's nice. Yes. When you get close, people will hurt you, so keep them at a big sore distance <laughs> <laughs> the biggest sore distance really your, your sword is too small to fight to with god so let's make it bigger let's absolutely. keep on making it bigger absolutely yeah yeah so, so you were taking notes which is good yes. because i'm nowhere near as organized and uh i've already read through book three so book one and two are now like, uh, not fuzzy, but uh, I just don't have any clear thoughts other than I like them. And uh, <laughs> so so let's hit up some of your notes, eh? Yeah. Some of the first things that I, I thought about were the Crunchyroll was pretty fresh on my mind when I had watched that episode of Chaos. And I... Notice that the um, the episode does do a one-to-one for the Colette Monk story, because when you see that scene, as terrible as it is with the CGI and the actually good animation stuff that they're doing in there, it does seem to go panel for panel, which I thought was interesting. Okay. So, so some okay. of it is faithful. And then you had mentioned that the kid is haunting guts from the get. And if you don't know who the kid is, you'll find out at the end of the Golden Age arc. But we also, mm -hmm. I think, talked about that in that uh, first berserkening where Casca does end up having a demon spawn baby that then just kind of hangs around, hangs around, kind of belials yeah. around, but doesn't. I don't do this. Do they murder like Belial in any of the future things or they just haunt? Uh, all I recall is that they're just kind of hanging around. Yeah. Um, they, at first, Guts is pretty afraid of it because it comes to his dreams and it kind of gets mixed with a few of his nightmares after he takes a beating. But then it kind of just disappears for a chunk of time, mm. you know? So, yeah, there's there's just a little haunting fetus monster for just a little bit of time. And that's what I find so interesting about the series and rereading it is that you don't know what that creature is if you're just reading it fresh off the bat. But when no. you reread it, knowing what you know, you go like, oh, shit, look at that guy's there. There is a connective point uh, because one of the times it shows up in the dream, it's when Guts wakes up. He's in the back of a caravan wagon, or a, a, not a caravan, it's just one wagon, and he kills a monster that was basically feeding off of his nightmare, and he calls it uh, an incubus. Yeah. And it looks a little same-ish. It's not quite the same as as the child, um, but it's, it's a brainy-looking monster. It's a little squishy guy. Mm -hmm. So there's a certain point at the beginning where you can uh, disregard the child as just a part of that nightmare monster. Mm -hmm. But we know later on that's not... Not the, tr the not the case. Yeah. So. Yeah. yeah, and that's just I think a perk of being able to reread and get new things out of it as you go. So. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um. Oh, okay. So one thing I noticed is you know we talk about how guts is such a a hard outer shell of a of a human and he doesn't show emotion, but yes. really pretty soon off the bat you can see his 
emotion, pain, sympathy as early as meeting Vargas, who is the mutilated doctor in the in the town. Right. Even though he does it while he's alone, nobody sees it. I mean, a lot of times he is hiding the fact that he feels something for somebody. Right. And, you know, I see that he sees what Vargas has lost and he feels the pain because he can understand he's lost so much or he's missed yeah. out on so much because of the way his life has gone. And I just found that really interesting because mm-hmm. I don't know that I really thought about the depth of that. But yeah, he like goes off and whatever, he's practicing a sword or whatever he's doing. And then it's just like pain, guts face. Yes. Yeah, there's a there's a bit of early pained guts face because um, he does still have his empathy and he can yeah. still apply it to everybody in a horrible situation, which is almost everybody. The I, I had actually, I don't know what the term is, misallocated. I, I thought he had shown a little bit more regret and sadness about the young girl in the... So, so there's, With the snail dad? No, no, no. Yeah, that's when he definitely showed um, emotion. Oh. No, there's a sequence where um, he gets a ride from a, an older man and his daughter and uh he tells them like you should keep going you know i'm bad news and they're like nonsense you know just get in the wagon and that's when like the incubus attacks yeah that's the monk slash colette scene that i was talking about okay yeah see you say monk i don't remember them saying the guy was a monk but i can't like i said i read that yeah he was a man of god okay okay Um, so he, uh, they, they get, uh, waylaid by some demons at night, by like skeleton warriors and the little girl gets, uh, killed and possessed. Guts lets his guard down, but after that he immediately like, you know, dispatches her and then you don't really, basically after that, he's like, that's what they get for living in this shitty world. And yeah, well, you know, got to move on. Um, so he seemed a bit colder there. And for some reason, I had a memory of him, of of that moment sticking with him longer. But I guess I was wrong. It's one of those things where he's, he, he tends to have an emotional reaction when there's a child involved. Right. Like later on when the stuff with Adonis and Julius happens and the kingdom where the assassinations happen, Mm. it, it affects him. So like in that moment... Maybe it's that in that moment when Colette is this like living dead being that is coming towards him, that's where he's like impacted by it. And then after that, he has to shut it way down and says that like callous stuff to Puck just to be able to like move on. Move on. Yeah. 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 Because he did. He did allow her to stab him. Um, Yes. (laughs) And uh, so, yeah, his his guard was definitely down. So a very minute uh, opening of a of a bit of emotion there yeah so yeah yeah, yeah and i i remember thinking when i was talking about it i think we did it for like a book club for one of the um for one of the comics dungeon book clubs and i remember saying like oh you should read the first three volumes and i think even when we were talking about it in the store like yeah he's a callous person but you should just like keep reading you know volume two or volume three or whatever just to try to get to that emotion but you actually don't even have to do that because <laughs> Yeah, you get you get it really you get it throughout, you know, Um, he's not that immune. And I guess I was immune to the fact that he (laughs) that he actually has uh, feelings Mm -hmm. like throughout. And Mm -hmm. a lot of it is that he's 
trying to squash and repress those feelings and those connections to humans because it's only hurtful in his eyes because of all yeah. the trauma he's experienced. So, yeah, that's that's the trick. The uh, at this point, readers don't quite know how much trauma yet. And there's the immediate trauma that we know that was uh, what's going to be the end of the Golden Age arc. And then there's the pre-trauma that is the start of the Golden Age arc. So much trauma. Yeah. So, I mean, that's a good segue into volume two of the hardcover, which starts at volume four of the digests. Mm -hmm. And uh, that's the beginning of the Golden Age arc where you get to know like Gambino and stuff. Although I think the end is at the end of volume one that starts that I can't actually remember now, but whatever. Yeah, it definitely in volume two. Like, I think when the first one we talked about how um, the mercenaries that guts. So first of all, these mercenaries came across guts. He was he was born from a corpse hanging from a tree. Right. And right. Gambino, who's the leader of the mercenaries, his partner, sis, had just uh, suffered, I think, a miscarriage. And yes. so yeah. she. Uh, was in mourning and saw this baby and she she wanted to pretty much adopt the baby and mm. Gambino wanted sis to be happy so he said sure but the mercenaries were all like this is a really bad omen yes. to take a baby from <laughs> a, a <laughs> graveyard pretty much you know yes yeah I think we talked about how it was mostly alluded to that Gambino blamed guts for sis's death because she does end up dying of a disease I believe or something yeah. like that she gets very yeah. sick and dies. But I think there's a point in volume two where Gambino is screaming at Guts and pretty much just says, like, she died because of you. Yeah. And it's just straight up like, okay, superstition aside, like, anything that's alluding to it, he's like, nah, I fucking hate you. <laughs> yeah. You know? Well, he's a very uh, hating person anyway. Yes. Um, because even though he just kind of allowed Guts to join because of Sis, um, he actively just didn't care. Like yeah. every every element of of Gambino's character is a opportunist that only cares about money and surviving and using people as tools, as we know later on when he sells guts to uh, one of the other mercenaries for sex. Yep. And guts doesn't quite let him know what happened, and then later on guts organizes the death of that guy <laughs> yeah which was really clever but before we yes. get to that it was interesting that guts is actually trying to feel it out the next day he goes to gambino and he tries to see like did gambino know that this was happening because he doesn't right. know that gambino sold pretty much sold his ass to this guy yes. Yeah. gambino doesn't say anything because gambino doesn't give a fuck he doesn't care yeah. he got his yeah. money things happen transaction over Yep. Yeah. yeah, he's he's callous and uncaring. So why would he even bring it up? It doesn't mm -hmm. it's a moot point, right? Mm -hmm. So Guts thinks, "Ah, oh, Gambino didn't know." Cuz Gambino cuz Gambino is a father figure to Guts. He still yeah. even he still wants to have this this relationship. Th this relationship that Gambino is not capable of ever giving him. Well, there's little moments too where like uh at one point Guts gets injured on his face and Gambino gives him a salve. So, like, that one gesture is enough for Guts to hold on to a sense of love, you know? <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, love question yeah. mark. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, and that's that's an element that, you, that they'll focus on from time to time, where he has these memories that are the closest to positive memories he has, and he'll hold on to them. 
Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, I think any child would, right? I mean, you're in this yeah. harsh reality where, you know, you could have died, but you survived. And now it's it's survival. It's just constant survival. And you don't even have like love and caring, affection, somebody who's really looking out for you, except that they see you as like a, a possible tool to get yeah. another thing. Right. Right. He trains guts because he's another fighter. He's another, yep. you know, it's another body, the throw. sword in the ring kind of thing. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. So then let's get to the uh, the very crafty way that he kills his abuser, which I I completely forgot that that happens because it's so fast. The, the abuse happens. Yeah. And then Guts immediately is like, I'm going to kill this motherfucker. But how does he <laughs> yeah. kill him? Well, and at this point, it's worth noting he's like, what? He's not even 12 yet? Oh, yeah. I think he's... He's between he, eight and eleven. I can't remember yeah. exactly. So this eight to eleven year old orchestrates like the assassination of somebody. Um, because the thing is, they they end up going together uh, as a troop, and uh, I think now I forget the name of of the guy he's trying to kill. Um, he uh, he find f- finds him in the woods and uh, basically. Just decides he separates him from the rest of the pack and and kills him. Yeah, he it's in them. It's like they're in the midst of doing a battle, and he. Okay, here we go. Let's see. Maybe they're not in the middle of a battle. I thought they were like in the middle of a battle, but it doesn't look like it. You know, there is a battle. Okay, so I found it. So, the mercenary group finds the uh a caravan of like the enemy that they're being paid to to take down and uh they charge in break the line and um the guy who guts wants to kill is chasing down some people that ran away from the caravan and they get far enough away that that's when guts hits him with a crossbow a couple times and then uh, just takes a sword to his mouth when he's down and uh, yeah, murders him brutally. So yeah. yeah, so it's like really good retribution in that way. And it's so crafty because he sees an opportunity to do it and for it to be covered up by, you know, somebody trying to fight back. Yep. Mm-hmm. There's never any question of like, oh, what happened to that guy? It's like, ah, oh, he fucking died. Who cares? Let's move on. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's like, yeah, 15 of us died. It's just, it's going to happen. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, exactly. Which is just really smart for a kid to come up with. <laughs> mm-hmm. I mean, he... <laughs> and ruthless. Absolutely. Um, mm-hmm. Guts isn't necessarily the best strategist when it comes to fighting, but there is mm-hmm. some strategy in what he does. Like, he is very much rush in and do stuff but he also is calculating while he is in battle he so there is this balance yeah yeah he could be very cunning yeah um it's mostly a cunning on your feet as like later on in the series you keep on seeing him create like unique ways of murdering people um <laughs> <laughs> Especially when he gets a cannon for a hand and then he like starts creating like brand new fighting moves that only he can do using momentum and a cannon. Um, on his hand. Know, on his hand, you know, <laughs> stuff like that. Um, 
Yeah, you have to appreciate it's 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 like him and uh, Ash from uh, Army of Darkness. They're just kind of like, hey, I lost the limb, but I might as well do some cool stuff with the replacement. That's and right. he gets a cannon hand and crossbow hand. And I'm just hoping for there to be a bit more down the line. Like it's it's like a Batman hand. It's just everything he could ever want out of it. Considering how over the top, like a lot of armor and things like that are in Berserk. Yes. I mean, somebody is in a fucking metal shark outfit at one point. You know, <laughs> oh, people are it. like called the purple rhinos. So, and they look like rhinoceroses. So, you know, you could do anything really at that point. So that's something that's worth noting. Um, I think I mentioned to you uh, at some point as, as the series progresses, the art just keeps keeps enhancing and evolving. And once you're in the Golden Age arc, there's there's a certain period point where um, Mira just kind of lets loose on his design elements and he starts getting so decorative. And the guy with the shark outfit is one of my favorite outfits for a relatively throwaway character. And because it's so ornate and over the top and great. And uh, the, the the purple rhino guy has a nice outfit. Um, but you'll start getting more and more of that continually throughout the series. What I love about that, and this is in volume three, so we are jumping a little bit ahead. But oh, like okay. um, that shark outfit, Casca meets this guy because they have this spat rivalry, whatever. Kind of a feud. Because yeah. reasons. Yeah, feud. Um, but when she sees the outfit, she's like, the <laughs> fuck is this shit? Even Casca, who lives in this world and sees all kinds of armor, is just like, the fuck with this shark thing? Yes. <laughs> I just loved that moment where I was just like, okay, good. We're just acknowledging this is actually ridiculous in this world as well as me reading this. It's so great because the shark outfit embodies the person too, because that's the guy who's always just like, I'm going to use the super drurly nervish technique that's been handed down for 3,000 years in the family of da-da-da-da-da. Yeah. And he just creates these ornate overly flowery descriptions for everything he's doing and most of the stuff is useless what he's doing and he's a blowhard um so overly ornate shark uniform is perfect for that and it makes sense Um, and of course costco would see how ridiculous this man is in all the ways and point it out Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. so oh yeah so you and i had talked um off mic about just like how um, Guts calls out Griffith. So when they meet and they have a battle and Griffith is like, if I win, you belong to me. And if you yes. win, you whatever, you can go and do your own thing. Guts calls out that what Griffith is saying is pretty homo, you know. <laughs> <laughs> and Griffith never says no homo, like little Wayne says. But Right, right. Because yeah. he doesn't have to. He doesn't have to. Yeah, he doesn't have to explain himself. Be defensive. He's Griffith. He's Griffith, yeah. Which, this is the interesting thing. At this point in time, the guts becomes kind of like a voice for for the readership, where it's just like, what do you mean, I belong to you? Um, but at that point, I don't get that any feeling from Griffith that it's it's that Griffith lays claim. He's like a cat touching things on a table, <laughs> where it's just like, this is mine. Everything I touch is mine. Yep. And that doesn't mean that there's a sexual connotation. It's more of a spiritual connotation of you all belong to me now. You're part of my dream and and you will create my reality the way I see fit. Um and uh but that's that's an element that I I 
<laughs> think it's kind of funny because a lot of people will focus on that. It's just like, wait, is is there a sexual element to this? Is there a love element? And it does develop down the line where I feel there is a love element. Yeah. But it is complicated because the way Griffith thinks is so unique and also messed up in horrible ways because everything is a stepping stone to his ambition. Right. Right. And he sees how Guts fights and is like, that's the guy I need. That's the yeah. guy that's going to get me that much farther in my dream. Exactly. Because he specializes in finding those people who are a little extra something. Mm-hmm. They're not just the usual kindling on the fire. They're they're the special people that can, can give him the little oomph he needs to keep going. Yeah, that... I was going to tangent into something, but that's that's more for like later chapters. Okay. So I'm going to refrain just a little bit. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> just a bit. Well, then let's just talk about the Griffith shower scene that happens after Guts. Oh, yeah. <laughs> after Guts joins um, the uh, the band the of the band Hawk, of the Hawk, yeah. and they uh, they have a the next morning, you know, Griffith brings Guts over and Griffith is uh, in the middle of a shower, you know, which is just mm. like a Taking being, being naked and throwing a bucket over your body. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I feel like at least initially that that is such a power move to be <laughs> in such a vulnerable state and be like, come here and talk Let's to me while my junk is in your face and I'm just mm-hmm. showering and I just look like a beautiful angel, like a naked angel. Mm-hmm. But then it just quickly, I wouldn't say like necessarily devolves, but like it becomes this, it, it, that's the thing about Griffith. It becomes this innocent play thing, like yes. where it's very childish. water on each other and yeah. Yeah, where Guts and him are like, like Griffith has this way of if people are feeling like anxious or something's happening, he can like switch in a moment's notice mm-hmm. and adjust so that they don't feel comfortable. All of a sudden, then they're they're at ease again, you know. Yeah. And he's got them back in his like kind of claws again. And that's exactly what he does with guts in that moment. Yeah, no, he's a master at disarming people emotionally and mentally. The interesting element here is how much of it is him doing it on purpose to guts here versus how much of him is actually allowing guts to see him and i feel there's elements of the visual knowledge uh uh, the visual language where uh every time griffith looks off into the distance that is him lowering his guard to whoever is near him and you only really see that happen three-ish times. And it's Casca, Guts, and the princess later on. Yep. Um, mostly the princess, I imagine, because he feels like there's no threat there, period. Exactly. Um, she's kind of an empty vessel to a degree. But with Casca and Guts, it feels a little genuine. Um, even more with Guts than Casca. Um, because that's, that's the moment where he's drifting off into some weird subconscious place where he's just like, I'm going to rule the world motherfuckers. And that's the interesting element that, um, I guess I will tangent a little bit here uh, ahead of time, but the main focus of a lot of Griffith's arc is that he had this dream to basically advance himself beyond his station. 
um, from a commoner to a position of power, a ruling power. And I never quite got an impression as to what the logical end game to that was supposed to be other than maybe become a king. But even then that seemed wrong for him because everything seems to be such a, a f- <sighs> ethereal focus, a spiritual focus mm. that it makes you wonder, um, was there something else that planted these ideas inside of him? which a big part of the discussion of the series is what is the role of our willpower um, in the the river of fate, you know, um, and how much do what we want to do matters, you know, to uh, to outside forces. And uh, so because it always just felt a little weird and limiting that he just wants to be king you know, or something like that. And then as we know later on, there's a bit more to it. Yes, yes. And there's a lot of different things in play to get to that point, too. But I think, you know, when he's a kid, which I think you see in later volumes, he's staring up at a kingdom, right? He's staring up at a castle. And it's that thing of like that he wants to go from kid in the alleyway to person in the castle is kind of that thought in that panel yeah but at the same time griffith never says i will be king one day that i remember him ever saying he just is like it's just always upward ambition it's always upward ambition so i think that even though he look he's looking at the castle as a kid that's kind of like as a kid that's Mm -hmm. the highest level but now as like a i don't know 20 something year old guy i don't exactly know how old he is he's pretty young i figured at the point where they meet they might be anywhere between 16 to 18 that's kind of what i thought maybe upwards of 18 tops Mm -hmm. for griffith i think that you know king kinghood would only be another stepping stone to whatever the next thing is and he would figure that out as he goes so it's always just what's the next thing and that gets derailed, but in the way that is actually beneficial to him, hmm. ultimately, hmm. I guess. Hmm. I don't know, question yeah. mark? Question <laughs> mark? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Which, um, oh, in the first volume, there is a point where Griffith does show up as his fully formedness, right? Where it's the guardian Guardians of Desire arc. You do yeah. end up seeing him post apocalypse or post eclipse right. um but somebody refers to him as femto which i yes. think is the only time that i hear it or hear it i read it mm. in up to where i've read i think yeah that's it's such an interesting thing because there's these huge time gaps mm-hmm. and because when you and i first started talking about this stuff you you forgot that he was even there right because so much time had passed um yeah and the thing is i'm i can remember the femto name mostly because in the late 90s early 2000s whatever when i was beginning to get into this there were like plenty of toys that had a fem there was a femto toy and so in my mind i was like there's this character you know and it's it just kind of got established that way but in the actual narrative griffith as femto doesn't doesn't hold much at least from the early readings so there will be more for you to see there 
Yeah, I I really eagerly await that stuff because it's just it's 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 barely scratched the surface. Like volume five is great, but Mm -hmm. it just goes into this other arc, you know, where it's just focusing on totally different characters and whatever. And I'm just like, when are we going to do it? (laughs) Give me more of the mythology. Yeah. 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 That is a fascinating thing. That development, uh, that slow burn development of mythology. Um, because even at the point where we are at now, um, in the small volumes, like volume 40, there's still very little about the God hand. We, we see them enough more times that we know kind of what they are to a degree, but there's still no real explanation for each individual member. Um, and I'm a sucker for that kind of stuff. Like, like in the movie Hellraiser, when you see the other Cenobites, I want to know what is the deal with that horse face dude and what is the deal with the chunky guy and with the creepy lady. And uh, so that because these guys are basically Cenobites in Berserk, they were they were definitely influenced by Cenobites. You, you know, you see these horrible creatures and you're like, I want to know his deal. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I really want to know. And not necessarily like we want to know what he was like as a kid, but just like a little bit more depth, right? Like <laughs> That's the George Lucas approach. Yeah. <laughs> He's like, hey, you know that really cool guy? Well, this is going to tell you what he was like when he was a child. He was really sad. It's going to ruin it for you. You're welcome. Yes. <laughs> yeah. At one point, Griffith says to Guts, I will decide the place where you die, which I yeah. thought was a really interesting quote. That he says, I said that it's on page 302 and I have no other context, so you're welcome. <laughs> but um, but I just thought that that was really an interesting thing to place in there. One, because, again, Griffith is using people kind of as tools, but in a different way than Gambino. He's doing it in a very charismatic way, right? He's doing it in a way that everyone feels like they're a part. They're really a part of something. They're part of something bigger and... You know, it's, right. it's got more emotion and depth to it. But at the same time, like Griffith is like, you belong to me. I own you. I own your life. I'm going to tell you where you die. I'm going to make sure that this shit happens. Because there's multiple times in the volume that Guts puts himself in a dangerous situation because he's Guts or yes. because things just don't quite work out. Like one of the early uh, fights that they were doing where he was bringing up the yeah. rear and the guys yes. were coming uh, after him and like Griffith goes back and helps out like he brings a, a bunch of his good guys uh, yeah. his best guys and they they save they save the situation mm-hmm. um, there's a, a, a few times like that I mean even when um, Nosferatu Zod shows up and Guts yes. goes charging in Griffith shows up and the only reason that they get out of that is because Griffith has a bay on and Zod yep, yep. goes ah there's a bigger picture here I'm gonna be right. I'm gonna be watching y'all and mm-hmm. I'm gonna be out right now mm-hmm. <laughs> I do appreciate how I, I keep on wanting to say General Zod. Um, how Nosferatu Zod also like looks at uh, Guts and he's like, "Hey, you don't know what this means, but y'all got to be careful, son, because <laughs> yeah. shit's yeah. gonna be bad for you." He like and I just kind of like, him, like, "Listen, son, <laughs> you don't know this now, but when you get older, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah." There's there's a, there's an odd. Um, charity to that moment where it's just like it's the vaguest thing to the point where guts would never understand what he's saying but within later on our context we're like oh zod cares (laughs) 
or to the point where he's just like, hey, I like the way you swing your sword, son. Uh, I just want to make sure you get to swing that sword a lot more. So just so you know. Yeah. And uh, we get to see that later on, too. Um, God, I, I, now I don't know if I'm jumping. Vol- I am jumping In volume, volume three, Zod specifically yes, saves the day three. in a moment. Yeah. He does. Yes. He throws a big old sword. They would have fucking... <laughs> totally bit it if it wasn't for Nosferatu Zod, which is very pivotal. Yes. Yep, yep. yep. Yeah. Holds a lot of weight. But that's just to the point of like, these demons really want to see their realities come true, and they're really committed to it, you know? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. (laughs) They're quite invested. (laughs) They, uh, what's that word that people have? They have a a dream board or a ambition board? Yeah. Uh, Yeah. (laughs) Nosferatu Zod has like a little cork board in his dungeon. And he puts like pictures of the cars he wants, and <laughs> it's like guts, and then another picture of just like the biggest sword that he could find, cut out, yes, and just puts yes. it right on top the guts. And there's like a heart around them. Yes, you know? it's just yeah. like make sure guts always has big sword. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You know. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. The uh... ah, it's so tempting to jump volume so much in these discussions. I gotta, <laughs> I gotta pull back, pull back. <laughs> back pull back well i mean we are at i guess the 40 minute mark and i am getting close to the well sort of i'm getting close to the end of uh, the notes so i mean we could jump a little bit if you want to no 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 uh, I, i'll have a a final bit to talk about here and we could cap this so that we have plenty more for future episodes okay because we need to think of more uh sequel names to this <laughs> um but uh Book two, I think I mentioned, is where uh, Mira's artwork really starts to solidify as, like, something else, yo. And for me, one of those, like, turning points is at the beginning of the hardcover. Um, You see one of the sieges on a castle, and it's like, he drew every goddamn stone on that castle. Um, And you just get that attention to detail, which is amazing. And uh, it starts to really kind of continue on and develops. Book three is is like where his uh, facial features and characters uh, evolve quite a bit. But like in the second hardcover, when you get to Nosferatu Zod, I mean, Zod's like every piece of fur on him is drawn almost, you know, every hair of his weird Sasquatch Batman body, whatever he is. Yeah. Uh, Wildebeest. Wildebeest. Or he almost looks like, um, that's that big guy from, uh, the Mickey Mouse thing with the dancing brooms. Oh, like Fantasia? Fantasia. There's, there's a demon at the end. Um, and it's like Charlbarg, Barg, Charlbarg, Barg, I can't know. remember now. I gotta pull yeah. that, that clamshell VHS out. Dust big it off. Big old demon guy. Yes. <laughs> but, um, yeah, it's just, it's just that, that, attention to detail and every little bit of like zod's design is fantastic so yes Yes. visually chef's kiss (laughs) chef's kiss Mm um so actually speaking of zod there is the sequence of after guts uh so griffith is gaining enough power that he's making all of the um noblemen really nervous and so people are trying to find a way to get griffith out they're pretty much trying to assassinate him they try a multitude of ways um at one point uh 
Griffith narrowly escapes being poisoned by an arrow because it hit his uh, Bailey. So that thing, mm-hmm. like, had him survive. Um, and he has this, oh, my God, amazing stare that he that he has oh, periodically. Because yeah, yeah. him and Julius, and Julius is the brother of the king and is boinking his wife, uh, yeah. just by the by. Uh, by the and... <laughs> And he's the one who is like, yeah, we got to get Griffith out. And there's For the this- crime of wife boinking, we <laughs> sentence you to death. I feel actually it's more like a community service because that woman was just kind of like a queen in name. And so she needed boinking to be a better queen. Mm, and so therefore mm-hmm. he was just, you know, he was doing the Lord's work. <laughs> ah, so we're pro pro boinkage. Okay. I'm fine with it. I mean, they're all okay. terrible people, so who cares? But yeah, 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 yeah. yeah I yeah. think ultimately, <laughs> if you're in a political marriage, there should be some leniency. Mm-hmm, Just mm-hmm. saying. Some some boinkage, boinkage, some boinkage, some boinkage. Yes. Anyway, anyway, yes. Um. So Griffith catches eyes or um, like he makes eye contact with Julius and that is just such an amazing panel he gives him the uh, hawk stare he gives him the fucking hawk stare like yeah he's no, he does it a, a bunch bird. of times yeah 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 it, it's it's the bird of prey hawk stare and Absolutely. it's the I'm coming after you yes and yes. it's because he gives it to the one minister as he well does. and it's it's great because like him and that minister with a little egghead guy yep uh they they have like a little back and forth and like oh yes 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 political talk and um and he gives that that good old griffith smile that sweet boy smile and then when the minister's just kind of like he doesn't even know what's going to happen and he turns around and he sees griffith in the distance and it's like hawk stare and the guy's like got a cold sweat and he's just like, oh, it's happening. Oh, yeah. Totally so, yeah. throws him off. But what I love about that is like reading that again, I had this moment of like, how was Griffith in the background of all of this? You know, like he walks far, far away from this guy. But like, is he just sort of like walking in the shadows around waiting to like get the eyes of this minister <laughs> guy until finally the guy like feels like he's being watched and turns around and Griffith is like, stare. Like it's yes. like. <laughs> it's like um uh zoolander with like blue steel, blue steel. you know what yeah, i mean <laughs> yeah mm-hmm. it's just like damn griffith you, you're really good <laughs> what what if instead of the hawk stare it was blue steel i mean that's griffith's blue steel that's griffith's blue steel. absolutely yeah. so so anyway this is all transpiring and so griffith ask asks guts to assassinate julius mm-hmm. and get him the fuck out of the way this is another interesting moment between Guts and Griffith for me because Griffith <laughs> Griffith cares about Guts at this point in his own Griffith way, but he also is still using him as this tool, this ultimate tool to get to where he needs to get. And he sees that, I don't know that Guts would be the best assassin because he is not, <laughs> he's, he's not stealthy at all, which is kind of a, yeah, a risky he still, move. He still takes the big sword. And you would think that, like, maybe you should be like, maybe, maybe take a dagger, yo. Yeah, uh, I mean, he has a dagger. He does. We've you are it. the big sword man. We all know you as big sword guy. <laughs> even, even the king and the and the nobles who, like, I will not talk with a commoner. They still probably are like, you see that guy's big ass sword. <laughs> that that's big ass sword guy, that's isn't big it? Big ass sword guy. It's big ass sword guy. So yeah. he he asks him to do this and. 
things go awry. He does end up killing Julius, but his Julius's son, Adonis, who he sees earlier in this training session with his father on how to do, you know, proper swords play and stuff like that. He's like training and Adonis is struggling. Guts sees himself as a kid with yeah. Gambino. He sees himself in this kid. So yeah. thinking about that while this shit's going down, Adonis shows up, Guts reacts like, somebody saw me, I got to kill him. Yep. Runs his sword through this kid, realizes it's the kid and is like losing yeah. his mind. He's boosting his mind. Side note, that sword is like five times the size as the kid, so. Yeah. And he ran it all the way through him. Yes, he did. And then there's this point where Guts is running and he's trying to get away because now all the guards are coming and he jumps into a sewer and he really realizes like the gravity of the situation. Like, not not just like, oh, what have I done with killing people? But like, I killed this kid and I see myself as this kid. And there's a point where he transposes his face onto Nosferatu Zod and sees himself as this demon, as As a terrible person. And I don't know if when I first read it that I really, really sat with that like I did the second time. Like, okay, yeah, he feels really bad about it. But like, I'm really going through this read through as more of like a really understanding guts and the psychology of a guts and like who he is as a person. Yeah. Looking at that scene right now, because in the nightmare, uh, he is himself as a child with Gambino and then Zod kills Gambino, kills child Guts, but then Zod is Guts Guts, so Guts is killing Guts, and Guts, and Guts, and Guts, and Guts, and Blood. Quick quick note, um, something that I love about the, the, uh, the setup to that scene is when Griffith calls Guts to his cham- chamber to discuss this assassination. Griffith has like a ton of books and you know, Guts is like, what are you, you know, what's with all the books, man. And, and he's just like, Oh yeah, there's all this stuff. That's like history and philosophy and chemistry. I'll never have time to read them all, but that, and then he's like, there's even things like this. And he picks up a big book, like a little kid would. And it's a, it's a Kama Sutra. (laughs) And he's just kind of like, look at this. And he's like, do you want to borrow it? And he's got them innocent uh, Griffith face. (laughs) And so like, it's a legitimate moment of him being a kid because they are children still i mean not children they're teens but uh (laughs) teens plotting the political overthrowing of a kingdom but a bit of a prodigy but still child at heart you know Mm -hmm. yeah look at these naked people i know and guts is just like what i don't care about this shit (laughs) yeah (laughs) just like tell me who to kill yes exactly i live by the sword i die by the sword I have sex by the sword, too. Yes. <laughs> the sword's name is Griffith. What? Oh, yes. Yeah, I mean, that's the thing. Is like we, we talk about, about the gayness but of their relationship from time to time. We make some jokes about it. And there's even videos on the internet about this, joking about it. But I think that it's just, it's because Guts and Griffith do, do have this level of intimacy in their relationship that mm. I don't think it's a sexuality thing per se. I think it's just a, when Griffith sees guts, he sees a level of power that it doesn't necessarily match Griffith's, but it is very powerful. And right. guts is working his way through the world, just kind of like Griffith. So I think there is a bit of like a, 
maybe he can see himself in Guts a little bit, even though Griffith's on a whole nother level. Well, and that's the interesting thing when Griffith gets broken in book three. So we'll talk about that later. Yeah. But it's because there's a certain point that skill-wise, Guts is on his level, finally. Um, It's also worth mentioning, uh, as far as uh, having sex with swords, that Casca views herself as Griffith's sword. Yes. And... Oh, shit. And then... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> exactly you see where i'm going with that yeah yeah, yeah. that's a whole nother level y'all y'all <laughs> but uh uh spoilers casca and guts have sex um and it's but, not uh, romantic except then it does kind of well, get romantic. it kind of does it, it does it, there's there's an arc to that sex anyway yeah. um anyway but the thing is i i generally if we had to assign any kind of uh designation here i'd, I'd say that griffith is bi at least um, i think so because he definitely does have certain feelings towards casca um, it's just, it's, it's worth mentioning that all of these people in this horrible dark medieval fantasy are horribly emotionally stunted and generally cannot communicate what they want to communicate unless it's, I want you to die via it's, stabbing. It's either penetration through sword or through phallic object. It's yes. pretty much it. I love yes. you through penetrating you in some way. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. <laughs> I stab your emotions. <laughs> I love you so much I have to go through you. That's right. Um, so, yeah. yeah. Interesting. Interesting. Yeah, I have like a, a little bit more on that just because it was – there's the monologuing that happens in volume two where we had talked about where Griffith talks about what a true friend is to the princess and she's all <gasps> – and he just goes off and stares into the distance and talks, yes. about, talks about his philosophical approach to relationships. Yes. Yeah. Which is really funny. And I think it was just, I had this realization that Guts is more than just a tool for Griffith. But why is that? You know, is mm. just kind of looking at the behind that, you know, he says that a true friend would have a dream of their own. They would not be a part of his dream. Right. That's ultimately right. what he's saying. And this is a turning point for Guts because he realizes that he thought of Griffith as a friend, but Griffith Mm -hmm. doesn't think of him as a friend. So therefore, Guts has to go off and find his own dream. Right. Which is also interesting because, like, wait a minute, after after discovering that the person that you uh, spiritually started to love to a degree as a friend and a brother Mm -hmm. doesn't view you the same way... um, Instead of just saying, fuck you, uh, you decide, I've got to go and desert my ranks and go on a spiritual quest into the mountains with my big ass sword to become the best fighter in the world. And then we can be friends because it only that's the only thing that matters. And it's just it's a little interesting, a, a, a way of of responding to that discovery. Well, I, yeah. I think there are two pivotal people in Guts's life, like the mm-hmm. most important people. One is Gambino. Yes. And the other is Griffith. Mm-hmm. And and his sword. <laughs> and the third one is his sword. Yes. Um, he does get different swords throughout the series, though. So it's but just... He, he names them all the same thing. <laughs> <laughs> My sword here is going to sword you here. Kill so, you here. It's going to kill you that's here. That's right. 
It's a Mr. Tim clip, yes. which is still great after all these years. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think that's why Guts is so inspired to do that, is that he's like, Griffith means so much to me that I'm going to do something so drastic to show him that we are the best of friends forever. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to ghost him so hard, yo. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to destroy his soul emotionally, mentally, spiritually. Mm-hmm. And I'm just going to go slash my way through the world. And then when I come back and be like, hey, girl. Hey, girl, equals. you can already have fucked your life so hard. <laughs> so I'm going to go fuck Casca. All right. <laughs> Sorry. Spoilers here. Going to spoil you here. <laughs> yes, yes. Well, I mean, it was pretty much uh, 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 telegraphed because I'm pretty sure there are pictures somewhere in the early books where he sleeps with his sword um, when he's a child. <laughs> And so, like, once once Casca said, I want to be Griffith's sword, like, that was fair game. That was that was Guts being like, say that again? Uh, what's that? <laughs> You're sharp and have a handle? I'm down with you. It's, it's like, mind-blowing what, what's happened in this podcast for me. Thinking about Casca <laughs> as a sword and the relationship. I mean, it's like Captain America and a shield. If, like, some girl showed up and was like, I will be your shield, he'd be like, say what, girl? <laughs> One <laughs> of the one of these future episodes of of Berserk, uh, when it finally comes out, Guts will reach back uh, for his big ass sword, and instead he'll just like pull out Casca. Uh, he'll pull out a Casca. Yeah, and that that alone is a, an amazing weapon. So sword mm-hmm. or Casca, you're gonna win. You're gonna win with a Casca. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Casca's mm-hmm, mm-hmm. a badass bitch. Which, by the way, I think this is actually in volume three, but it's still one of my favorite quotes because she, Casca um, gets a really bad menstrual cycle during right. a battle. I don't remember if this is in two or three. Uh, volume three. Okay. So we can save that for next time. Yeah. There's we a really to- great, great quote in there that every time I come across it, it makes me so happy. And I actually wrote a note for my volume three notes. My husband comes by and reads my notes and he just laughs at me because of the quote. <laughs> and also my love of Berserk. I think he finds it a little weird. I will say without <laughs> without getting too deep into content for the next podcast, there, there's there's a bit there where uh, every every time any character finally figures out that Casca had her period, that they all go like, oh. That's the quote is just like, oh, it it was her period. And then somebody else is like, sis really is amazing. Which I just love. They love Casca so much that they're like, damn, you had your period and you still fought? That's badass. Yes. (laughs) What I love, too, is there's a certain point where the bad guy, uh, the guy with the shark armor says that. He's just like, you were having your period. And everybody in the entire fight scene freezes, the bad guys (laughs) and the good guys. And she's like, don't say that out loud. And like everybody's just like, damn, girl. Yeah. (laughs) You hardcore. Yeah. I know that Uh, shit is not good. My -hmm. sister had a really bad period growing up, and that was not to be trifled with. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, man, if every medieval warrior was just super supportive (laughs) about that stuff. That's the thing about Berserk is there's just these moments where they don't... (laughs) I don't know what the word would be, uh, like, emasculating for women, but, you know, they don't, like... There are people who try to be shitty to Casca because she's a woman, but they tend to be the enemy. 
you know? Yeah. Yeah, or yeah. if there is somebody in the band of Hawk who says something that's kind of demeaning to her, somebody else is like, shut the fuck up. This is Casca, bitch. And I just yeah. like, I just really appreciate those elements. It seems to be mostly just within the band of the Hawk, which is great and unfortunate at the same time, because now I have a fan fiction of a fully realized fantasy world where all the guys are very considerate. <laughs> <laughs> no matter what like the the worst bandit like they could be uh pillaging a village and there's an army of these horrible bandit criminals and then in the middle of it one of them like whoa 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 brenda over here is on her period and they're like whoa call it off guys call up call off we're gonna go back into the mountains but when's a good time you guys tell us when it's a good time to come back like okay when you're migraine free, when you don't have to use the hot bottle, just let me know. If you're just spotting lately, then I'll come back. Okay? <laughs> I'm on day four of my period. Okay, guys, it's on. She's fine. She's out of the cramp session. It's cool. Okay. Burn down her hut. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> the, the evil warlock is about to uh, steal the princess and he's just like, ooh, okay, how about I come back in about, you know, five days? We good? Okay, we good. Yeah. 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 <sighs> five days is pretty well. good average, I think. <laughs> <laughs> he's like, I did summon a portal to the nether legions of the underworld, uh, but it'll stay open for a good time. So we're good. We could do this. We could reschedule. <laughs> we're good. I'll rape you later, girl. It's just like, wait, what? <laughs> You're considerate uh, about the period, but you're going to rate me? Yeah, it's just kind of what I do. But I totally understand that the menstrual cycle can be brutal. Mm-hmm, <laughs> it's mm-hmm. just like, what? <laughs> yeah. I'm so confused. <laughs> you're so considerate, and yet you're a piece of shit. I don't know what's happening. <laughs> I might be an unthinking monster, but I'm also a thinking monster. Yes, that's right. I am multidimensional yes. here. Mm-hmm. Which, speaking of, is Nosferatu Zod like the most well-rounded demon in the world? He's pretty up there, uh, you know. You know, he's more of a thinking demon. He does like to battle, of course. Oh, he loves to battle. Yeah. But it's not like it's not like some of the other guys who are just so single focused. Like Zod's able to see the bigger picture. Yeah, yeah, you know? yeah, yeah. Yeah, most a lot of the other demons are just like, I want to eat some human flesh, yo. Yeah, uh, they're more in the I, moment. They're more in the moment, and. Uh, General Nosferatu Zod is more about, you know, like, well, I want to battle to the end of time. So let's let's create like a really good plan for that and, and follow it through. It's like pace yourselves. Pace yourselves. Pace yourselves. <laughs> yeah. There's always people to kill. There's right. always going to be time to kill. So, yeah. <laughs> That's what his memoir is called. Time to Kill. A memoir by Nosferatu Zod. Time to kill, dot, 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 you. (laughs) Nice. (laughs) All right. Well, I guess that'll about do it for our second episode of The Berserkening. Mm -hmm. The Berserkening, Electric Boogaloo. That's right. And um, stay tuned as we eventually make our way to uh, Berserk Takes Manhattan (laughs) and uh, a few others. And uh, yeah, thank you for joining us. Uh, If you would like to uh, follow some more from me, you can check me out at trustyhenchman.com and uh, you can support me on Patreon as well. Links are on trustyhenchman.com. And uh, yeah, join us next. Next time will not be berserk time, but there will be more berserk time. Yes. 
there will also always be berserk time. Yes. Yes. And now for awkward goodbye. <sighs> Parting is such sweet sorrow. There you go. Bad Shakespeare. You're welcome. <laughs> <laughs> Bye.